We are coming to you live. Well, it will be recorded by the time you hear it, but we're live here in New York City near Central Park at the Park Lane Hotel. And you know what's funny about what? Pam Powell? Here's what's <laughs> funny about Pam Powell. Do tell. Just before we were starting to record this podcast, she was taking pictures outside into Central Park as though you were going to be able to see them while listening <laughs> to this. I, your, your intentions are great, but it's not, you know, they're not going to be able to see them. I will post things so that everyone can see the photos of Central Park on a rainy day. So warm here, incredibly warm. And we're here for a very special event. We are here for the New York premiere of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is coming out on Netflix Friday. Yep, on the 9th. Oh my goodness, that's just two days away. Yep. Um, So Chuck, do you want to start off then with reviewing Pinocchio? Oh, I tell you, there's just a lot to unpack. There's so much to talk about and you know I think we have a lot to talk about or we're thinking about more because we've, we're here and because we went to an exhibit uh, that's at the Museum of Modern Art in which they uh, have some of the sets and some of the puppets and I mean there's just so much to unpack here. Um, it's kind of the story you know but kind with of. a distinct difference. Uh, Del Toro uh, changes the locale and the time period of this. This takes place um, in Italy, um, between World War I and at the beginning of World War II. Uh, Geppetto, of course, woodmaker. Uh, we see that he loses his son, Carlo, uh, at 10 years old. I'm not going to say how this happens, but Carlo dies tragically, and Geppetto's just not the same. Um, he tries to get on without his son, uh, but of course it's incredibly difficult. And one night, while drunk, uh, he makes a puppet. He makes a new boy. He makes this thing that is modeled after his son, but because Geppetto has been drinking, uh, this is a very ragged, ragged puppet. And there are sprites in the forest around where they live, according to this version, that then call upon the blue fairy, although it's not a fairy here, it's something distinctly different, who then brings this puppet to life. Um, Complications ensue. Of course. Uh, you, like I say, you know this story, but there are a lot of other things going on here. Um, there are a lot of times in which Pinocchio is seen as a Christ figure, an outsider, uh, someone who uh, does not fit in, yet is doing his best to help those around him. Uh, I thought it was interesting, we were at the press conference this morning, and Del Toro and the co-director, John Gustafson, they said that this isn't about him. This is really about Geppetto. This is his story, that the Disney version is Pinocchio's story, but this is really about Geppetto and how, to, how he tries to become a good father, how he tries to deal with the grief of his loss and all the, all the mistakes that he makes. Um, and it's also about nonconformity. I mean, Pinocchio throughout the film is told about following the rules. And this is why you do things. You just do it because that's the way everyone does it. And we see, um, at one point, Benito Mussolini. And we see all of the sick fans around him, everyone following him without questioning his authority, except for Pinocchio. And that, of course, is a vital message right now about questioning authority, about not just following blindly uh, down the road of ruin. Um, I like this film. I wish I could say I loved it. Um, it wasn't, it didn't grab me emotionally the way I thought or hoped that it would, but as far as, uh, technologies goes, it's a marvel. I mean, it is astonishing. It is. And it's one of those that 
you want to you're going to want to watch more than once just to pick up all of the details that are in this thing. You know, um, I have I, this is my third viewing of this movie. I watched it twice on my very good TV at home. I've got a pretty, right, yeah. pretty good setup at yeah. home. And watching it on the big screen really brought it to life much more so. I was, I was actually shocked at the difference between my home screen and seeing it on the big screen. Um, Animation-wise, you're absolutely right. I was blown away by that. And then going to this exhibit, yeah. and, and yeah. we are going to be posting a couple of segments on WCIA coming up in the next yeah. week, as well as on our YouTube channel, that you can take a look and see some of the sets and, and understand the detail and the, the painstaking efforts that it took all of these animators to create this thousand day of filming right. creation. Um, so that, that just floored me and it really accentuated what they did in order to create this, this movie. But I would agree with you as far as the emotion goes. I didn't, I, it wasn't there for me. Right. Um, could, it, could it be because we're blown away and distracted by the technicality no, of it or not? No, because I, the first two times I watched it, I watched it at home where okay. I appreciated the technicalities and, the, the, and the, the, what they did to create these puppets, but I wasn't as blown away by it as I was when I saw it in the big screen. Okay. So it still didn't have that same emotion that I was really hoping to have. Okay. Um, there are a lot of things that, that you... It, first of all, let me just say, this is not a kid's movie. No, not at all. This is not something no. that you want to you know, have your three, five, and seven-year-olds sit down with some popcorn and watch because they go into some pretty dark places. They talk about death. They talk about you know what it means to be a real boy and all these these concepts behind that that are not superficial in any way. There are a lot of different issues of religion, of politics, as you were talking about. The religious aspects are really unnerving. Yes. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's the conversations that they have. There's one scene in the movie where Pinocchio talks with his father about why is the wooden guy on the cross? Why does everyone love him? And I'm wooden too, but nobody oh, loves, loves me. me. Yeah. Oh. And then that just that just <laughs> un, un, that's like a, a dun, dun. yeah. You write a whole Pandora's paper about box. that. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's another scene that follows up where Pinocchio is on the cross and he's being burned like a witch. Yeah. And so all these religious things that I'm sure we could even take another look at the film and look at it just from a religious standpoint, because there's a priest in the film as well. Yes. And, and, you know, what he plays and how he doesn't accept Pinocchio because he looks like he's a demon because he's come to life. Um, so I really, I think the first two times I didn't enjoy it as much because Pinocchio was one of my favorite childhood, sure. not movies, it was my, a book, right. and I loved that book, and then I saw the Disney movie, so to me this is a childhood memory that has been messed with, and now it's an adult thing, so if you look at it from going in, and you know that it's an adult's movie versus a child's movie, I think you're going to enjoy and appreciate it more. And, and another aspect is this whole relationship between fathers and sons which we see two examples in the film, you know, Geppetto right, and Pinocchio, right. and then the fascist officer played by, uh, voiced by Ron Perlman and his son. Candlewick. Candlewick, uh, voiced by Finn Widhard. You know, you see that whole juxtaposition of those two relationships and Del Toro talked about uh, at the press conference, the difficulty with his father and how this helped him, him heal. Right. So yeah, there, there are so many layers to this thing, and you're right, you can watch this movie through so many different lenses. Right and just start to draw certain connections. Yeah. So this, I, I'm curious, I don't, I don't remember us talking about this, if this was such an important story to you in your childhood, what did you think of the recent uh, Tom Hanks version? 
I was disappointed in that too. Um, I didn't know, and, and maybe this is again a child's memory, I didn't remember that um, or that uh, uh, Geppetto had a son that died. That's I, not mentioned in the cartoon. Oh, okay, so it's, it's not, not me. It's no, not, it's not my memory. You. Okay, good. Um, so I appreciated that aspect. I think it, it justified um, why Geppetto built the sun, made the sun. Um, I loved Tom Hanks in it. There wasn't enough of Tom Hanks in the, mm-hmm. in the film for me to be connected to the story. I was disappointed in that one as well. Well, it's funny. When Del Toro this morning was talking about, or was it the lead animator that was talking about how you have to, when you do a film like this, everything has to be the same. Like the puppet has to be in a world with other puppets, or right. else it stands out. It right. doesn't. And I think that was part of the problem with this latest uh, iteration with Tom Hanks. He's there, he's human, you're on human sets, but then Pinocchio was an obvious computer-generated image. And I I think that was, and I don't think I realized that that was a big part of the problem until we heard Del Toro talk about... It was actually Brian, the The Brian, the enemy of the lead animator, talk about the integration and the whole aesthetic of this thing. We asked him about water because there's, of course, there is the whale here. There's no donkey in this one, but there is a whale. And we see water and they did integrate uh, com- computer-generated water, but they also did some uh, stop-motion with drops In of water. tears and water, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, just the integration of all of it to make it feel, no pun intended, fluid. Yes. Um, so there was it, was, it was truly seamless. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's a marvel, you know, and this is, I think that they, this will be regarded as a classic. This is a movie that the, the people are going to watch from years to come. They're going to analyze this thing. Uh, it's obviously going to be nominated and will probably win I'm sure it Best will. Animated. animated Feature. If it doesn't, then there's something really wrong. Uh, whether it'll get a Best Picture nomination, I think that's what Netflix is hoping for, and it just might have a shot. So. I think but, it, I, uh, oh, I, I, yeah, I think it'll definitely win for Best Animated Picture. So. But as Pam says, have your expectations adjusted a little bit. This is darker, it's more adult, but definitely worth watching starting on Netflix. Very good. Um, so, another movie set in New York. Yes, yes, we are going to go to New York for a rom-com. And we're right around the corner from Tiffany's, actually. And this is called Something from Tiffany's. Chuck, you bought your wife a little something from Tiffany's. And you, you know, I will never forget this. This was during our first trip to New York. And, of course, I'd never been to New York. Pam is from this area. And, of course, my wife, subtle woman that she has, dropped a little uh, hint about, you know, something from Tiffany's. Well... As you all know, I'm not made of money, so I went in and uh, asked as tactfully as I could, you know, where I could find things uh, more in my price range. And the young lady who helped me with barely contained disdain. <laughs> I don't said, think oh, she did. Oh, 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 you need to go over there. I laughed. I glanced at Pam, lovely Pam. She was livid. You were livid at that girl over there. And I couldn't How help but she? just laugh at them. Like, yeah, whatever. You know, but uh, the, the people in this movie, though, don't run into that problem. No, they do not. They do not. We've uh, got two gentlemen at Tiffany's, and they are each buying a gift for their prospective uh, partners. And um, we've got Kendrick Sampson, who plays Ethan, and his daughter, Daisy. Mm-hmm. And they're picking out an engagement ring for Ethan's hopefully soon-to-be wife. 
And Vanessa. Then, Vanessa, thank you. And we have Gary, who is buying... Well, I think he kind of went into Tiffany's in the same kind of mode that you did. Yes, exactly. What exactly. can I buy that's not going to break the bank? Right, but... And still, it's going to be in that signature little blue box right. that everybody wants to get. Mm -hmm. And so he bought a nice, cute pair of earrings. I thought they were nice. Well, they called them cute. Oh, okay. So, yes. Right, right. Um, so, uh, Gary is a bit of a dick. He's, he's just immature. Oh, Gary a, thinks of himself. He is he is very narcissistic yeah. as he um, bolts out of the door and he bumps into Ethan and then gets hit by a car in front of <laughs> Ethan and Daisy. Mm -hmm. And Daisy is extremely concerned and Ethan is just mortified that his daughter just witnessed somebody getting hit by a car. So they run over and you know what's going to happen. The what two, happens? The two bags get mixed up. Ah. Oh my so, goodness. So Gary's got Ethan's bag. You got and it. Ethan's got Gary's bag. You got that. What too. could possibly I go wrong? I don't know. <laughs> well, one of the guys is upset about it, and the other guy is like, eh, that's good luck. Yeah, well, Gary. Gary is in the hospital. <laughs> Gary's in the hospital, and his romantic interest is. Is Zoe Deutsch. Yeah, Rachel. Rachel, who is a restaurateur and a baker who has yes. a little pop up thing in New York City, and I'm going to guess it's around Central Park area um, at Christmas time. We're going to go find it when we're done here. There we go. Um, so we have these two couples. One is now engaged that was not planning to be engaged, and the other one gets a cute pair of earrings. And now um, Ethan needs to find out what happened. And he runs into Rachel, and the two have an immediate spark. And you know what's going to happen mm -hmm. next, don't you? Mm -hmm. Because I do. this is a rom com, and they do follow a formula. Did you care? I didn't if you care. knew what was happening, neither did I. Because I really liked them. They mm. were fun to watch on screen. You know, before we talk any more about something from Tiffany's, let's go ahead and listen to uh, just a clip from the interview that we had with Zoe Deutsch and Kendrick Sampson. This kind of movie lives and dies on on chemistry, so it was very important. And um, and yeah, like chemistry, it's just something it's difficult to describe or understand, really. Um, it's why it was really important to do chemistry tests um, and to understand, like, what is the banter? What is the back and forth? Um, what is the energy that, you know, exchanges between? And it was immediate, and it was really lovely. And it just, um, the whole process of working together was really special and nice. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I mean, we connected... Um, there's always a very strange thing in the pandemic of figuring out how you're going to meet people, um, in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, when we found out we were meeting on zoom, it was just like, oh, you can't read chemistry on zoom. Can you? But you can apparently, because I mean, it was like, like Zoe said, it was immediate. It was immediate. We didn't have to work for it. Um, which was great. That's always the dream because then you can just focus on that. Um, after you've got the lines down and everything, you've done your script analysis and your work, it's time to move and let that chemistry do, do what it does. Okay, I gotta tell you, Zoe Deutsch is one of my favorite young actors. You know what? I wrote in my review of this that her, Florence Pugh, Haley Lou, Haley Lou Richardson. Right. And I see those three name, names now. I'm, I'm interested. Like, yeah, same, same. Yeah. Um, Zoe Deutsch was in another favorite of ours from this year that we didn't talk about at the, our little Critics' Choice table just earlier today. Yes. is not okay. Yes. Um, she was also in a favorite of mine called Buffalo because I used to live near Buffalo, New York, and it was all about that town and her. Um, so anyway, back to the story of something from Tiffany's. The two, of course, get together. They figure out how to right this wrong of the mix-up of the jewelry. And 
I'm not going to tell you anymore. You know how this is going to end. Mm -hmm. But it is a fun movie that takes place in all the iconic spots of New York City. The snowflakes are falling. Everything is wonderful. And we like this couple. We want them to get together. We know they're going to get together. And we laugh and have fun. This is fun, fun, fun. There There are two reasons this movie works. One, as you say, is the cast and the characters. You like everyone. I love the relationship between... Uh, Cedric and the daughter. Yes. That was great. And even with them and Vanessa, you know, Vanessa wasn't this evil stepmom. No, she was fine. You understood exactly where she was coming from and what her deal was. So you like everyone. So that's one reason why this works. The other reason why this works is it's less than 90 minutes. (laughs) The director knows we have covered this territory in other movies, and so we're just moving. And and I think that really helps the film as well. I think so, too. Yep, there's no wasted time in there, and it's just just a pleasant watch. You can stream that on Amazon Prime beginning Friday. And this would be, you know, your teenage daughter, teenage son, you know, what we say, 13 up, 12 up? I would say 12 or 13. And and on the genres that they pick out on IMDb for us, one says family. Yeah, you can do this. Which I was surprised. I don't... I don't think they use one bad word in no, there, do they? No, no, and there's no, no. I, it's, it reminded me so much of the screwball comedies from the 30s and right, 40s. Right, And it proves you don't need to do any of that. Yeah. And still entertain and still be smart. So, and yeah, this is one to check out over the holidays. There's, there's one line that I really like that seemed to be woven throughout the entire thing, and that was, out of every mess, something beautiful comes. This and is I liked true. that. That's it good. stuck with me. That's good. I like that. <laughs> what else we got, Chuck? Well, I'm going to put that notion to the test okay. that out of every mess something okay. beautiful <laughs> emerges uh, because I watched Emancipation okay I have not seen that yet I've, I have not seen it yeah but you watched ten how long minutes. Ten, ten minutes of it ten minutes of it oh this movie you know and this is a movie that I'm probably going to get in trouble for slamming okay and I guess that's that's fine it is what it is uh, you know I, and that's I'm, I'm talking about the quality of this film. That's all I'm talking about. Okay, I'm not talking about any other issues. Uh, this is not a political thing at all. I'm just talking about how this movie is made, how it presents things, and how it deals with history, which it really doesn't. Really? Uh, yeah, and that's a huge, huge problem with this film. Is this based on a true story? <clears throat> well, you know, based on a true story, casts a wide net. It does. That casts a, a specific huge, one? <laughs> huge net, okay? This is about, and if you know anything about your, your American history, uh, particularly uh, the Civil War, you've seen this picture. Uh, there's a picture that came out in 1863. It was published in Harper's Bazaar, along with the story about this slave <clears throat> named Peter. And he was given the name, after this picture came out, of Whipping Peter. There was a picture taken of him after he had gotten to a encampment of Union soldiers in Louisiana that he was fleeing to. They asked him to take pictures because someone saw his back, and his back is just crisscrossed with these horrific scars from all the times that he had been beaten and whipped. This picture caused a sensation, and according to what I've read, I know I'm old, but I wasn't back there, so I can't say that I witnessed this. But according to what I've read, this galvanized the North as far as the war was concerned. Really? Once this picture was seen, anyone who was on the fence about why this war was going on, apparently 
this was what they needed to see. It's like, okay, now I understand why we're doing this. Interesting. Apparently, also, they claim that this picture caused many <coughs> freed slaves to then join the Union Army. Oh, wow. Because they, this, again, was the impetus, the, the inspiration that was needed to remind them what they were actually fighting for. The power of a photo. <coughs> the power of a photo. And, of course, a photo at that point was still a relatively new medium. So there wasn't all this notion. I mean, if this picture wow. were to come out today, I mean, oh, well, that's Photoshop. Oh, right. well, that's blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, there was none of that. Right. The picture was the truth. Right. And, um, and again, at Harper's Bazaar was a magazine that had, I think, at that time, the most popular, yes. the largest circulation. Yeah. So when they picked up the story, they just ran with it. And that's not a typical story Harper's Bazaar would have published back in the day. Yeah, which made me want to do a little research about the background of that magazine. Obviously, they were based in New York. Obviously, pro, you know, uh, abolitionist, probably, uh, you know, editorial board. What I've just told you takes up a very small portion of this film. And that's a big part of the problem. What this movie deals with is his escape. Okay. He escapes, the, uh, played by Will Smith, Philip escapes from a work camp. His owner has sold him to the Confederate government to go and work at a camp in which they are building the railroad. And the first 10 minutes you saw was him being separated from yeah. his family. Gut-wrenching. He never had a family. They think he had a wife. He did not have a family. That's one fabrication. Okay. Okay? He did not go to a work camp to build the railroad. He was on this plantation, and he escaped with three other slaves. They did hear that there was a Union encampment in Baton Rouge, which was about 40 miles away. And they felt that because Lincoln had legally freed the slaves by this time, that if they could get to a Union camp, they would be considered free too. Okay. They take off from the plantation. takes them 10 days to get there. That's the story. According to this story, though, <clears throat> the escape was a harrowing, harrowing trip through the swamp in which we have a really bad guy played by Ben Foster, and I'm ashamed of him because he's a good actor, yeah. and he gives a one-note performance as a manhunter who's after him. Uh, this slave, I mean, he's got to deal with dogs. He actually, at one point, he wrestles a crocodile. <clears throat> uh, he goes into a burning building and saves a, a, a little girl. Oh my hey, goodness, are this, you serious? I'm dead serious. And what this is, is this is like The Fugitive. It's like a Civil War version of The Fugitive. And one of the biggest problems I had in this, I'm not, you know, slavery was god-awful. It is a stain on our history. We've heard all the horror stories. And what Antoine Fuqua, the director, does is he takes all those horrible stories that you heard right. and he pours them into this one story. Within the first half hour, we see heads that are decapitated oh, of slaves. We see severed limbs. We see slaves shot with impunity. None of this makes sense to me if you need a workforce to bring, build a railroad, but we're not worried about details like that in this movie. We're worried about, we're, our concern is to give you an action film and also remind you how bad slavery was. That's the whole intent of this movie. Okay. And also give Will Smith an Oscar bait performance. That he won't be able to attend. Yeah, he's not going to get nominated for this. Okay. He gives a good performance, don't get me wrong. Okay. The film is not very good, okay. and that's not going to help him at all. We finally do get to him at the Union camp, getting the picture taken. He did join the army, apparently, according to historical events. He was captured by the Confederates, beaten and left for dead, crawls back across enemy lines, rejoins his regiment, and goes on to fight. None of that is covered in the movie. None of it. And here's what pisses me off. That's a pretty incredible story. Exactly right. 
Why didn't that's the story you tell? <laughs> Why do you invent all this crap when, as you just said, the story itself is actually absolutely incredible? Just tell the story. It doesn't. It doesn't do Philip justice. Not at all. Or his family, or his descendants. Exactly. You're insulting them with all of the trouble and the violence and that they had to go through right and now you come up with these fabrications oh, no it doesn't sad. it insults it insults that memory completely uh so yeah and i had high hopes for this yeah yeah i did too i really did uh but <laughs> yeah it's it's just a botched job from the beginning uh this one is on apple yes apple tv apple tv so i would say skip this one completely okay so we've got a fun one, we've got an interesting one, and we have one to skip. Exactly right. And all of <laughs> all them. All streaming. All of them on streaming. So yep. yes, you don't even have to leave the house. That's right. Do any of this. But next week, you do have to leave the house to see this one. Yes, you do. Yes. And I'm going to, I You're think gonna I'm going to leave the house to see it. I'm going to save you. Thank and we're you. talking, of course, about Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Three hours and 15 minutes. Remember, our phrase is, is that we suffer so you don't have to. I fear I'm going to be suffering through three hours and 15 minutes. I hope I'm wrong. Next week, we will find out whether James Cameron has another hit or a very expensive folly. <laughs> and also tune in and uh, check out our Facebook page and our website and WCIA, CI Living TV, for our, our, our talk with um, one of the uh, lead Brian. animators, Brian, from Pinocchio, and take a walk with us through all the sets that we were able to see. Good stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll save you a seat. <laughs>